0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, it's been a while since we talked about our old mate Jason Furman. Uh, Has he paid his bills? He has paid his bills. Oh, okay. So we should record him
1: a new ad. Surely he has a website now? Uh, No, he does not. Oh. Uh, Maybe he's provided a direct phone number people can order through? Uh, I'll just check. Nope, no phone number either. I like the way that you're actually pretending to look whether he has provided... (laughs) (laughs) So, if you want to get in contact with Dation, you still have to do that through Facebook. <laughs> it's uh, Einswick Dog Quip, E I N Z W E C K. Jason can hook you up with all the things you might be interested in getting, the fire mills, which a lot of people are getting and loving. Mm. He has Herm Springer products, if you're into those. Yep. He has balls, leashes, tugs. Yep. And at the moment, he has a 10%
0: discount on all Canine USA products. That's pretty cool. And I believe he's got a lot of the other stuff that you can use to compete in GRC as well, such as the sleds and the Mm. spring poles.
1: Yeah, that's correct. He yeah. sure does. Well, that's so great That's a sport that.
0: taking the world by storm. Yeah. So if you're into that or you just like train your dog, having a good time, have a chat to Jason on Facebook at einswick Dog Quip. Yep. Send him an inventory via Messenger and get your gear. <laughs> <laughs> get a website, Jason, you bozo. Yeah. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Glenn Cook, and joined in his own studio today is my co-host, Pat Stewart. Hello. Hi. How you doing? All right. What's going on? You want to tell everyone the exciting news? What news? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, don't be bashful. You know what we're talking about, you cheeky <laughs> <jiggy> little boy. <laughs>
1: well, we did that trial on the weekend, and me and Remy got the first leg of our Level 2 title.
0: Isn't that exciting? History in the making.
1: Yeah, it was pretty cool. So, yeah, first ones in Australia to do that. It was fucking hard. We uh, we passed on the Saturday. We got the bare minimum score in obedience. It's cool because, you know, PSA is, even though in the level two there's a routine, there's a lot of variants that the judge can do mm. in that routine. So there were things that I did not see coming and that I did not train for. So, uh, like the food refusal was from a bowl and it was a whole bowl of kibble, not you yeah, know, the food been that he training... eats and
0: training every day and all his life. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, we'd been training, you know, food from the decoy's hand or even food sprinkled in front of him. And that was fine. But we would never once trained. Here's a, a whole bowl full of the exact same brand of kibble from a similar <laughs> bowl from which you eat every day. <laughs> And then other stuff like in that first day, the change of positions was on a tarp, um, which kind of threw him a little bit. I mean, he did it, but it wasn't as pretty as it, it, it his normal change of positions is. So yeah, man, it was hard. There was those couple of things that he ate the food in the food refusal, so that's five points gone, and he stood up to do it, the fucker. So that's a that's five points for that stay gone. So, you know, you got to get seventy five out of hundred. That's that's ten gone straight away in the first few few seconds. So, yeah, it was um, – see, we got exactly 75 out of 100 in the obedience. And then I can't remember what we did in the bite work, but we did pretty good in the bite work. He did quite well.
0: Yeah, he did really well in the bite work. His entries were fantastic. Like, he was coming in hard. He was hitting deep in the pocket. He was biting nicely. He was releasing quite well. I think he was a bit stubborn yeah. on a few of them, but overall he was quite good.
1: Yeah, and, you know, as I, I look back and look at the footage and stuff – even on the day, I kind of knew it. All the errors in the bite work were actually my errors, you know. So in the in the the first scenario is a two-man courage test, and then a, a call off and redirect to a, a handler attack, and then it's an out and guard to a transport. And I, I yelled at him to I yelled like he's out and he's out and guard is his name and he's out command. And I yelled it, and he he came flying back to me like he'd done something wrong. And I realized mm. like I'd never yelled at him. I always like all my commands are just really normal. Uh, Speaking volume and I guess nerves and you know, you think it's trial So you got to indicate the stakes to the dog or whatever You know you lose half points for that But then I luckily was able to bring him back and put him into the guard uh, And you know recover the guard and the transport points, but it wasn't just I just realized like hey I don't I never yell in training. Why am I yelling suddenly out here on the trial field like and that's just nerves I guess and the same thing in the surprise scenario where i had to send him through the tunnel while he was going through the tunnel i yelled at him to guard because mm. it was a, a guard on a passive decoy and then a bite to that same passive decoy and same thing when i screamed guard <laughs> he turned around and came running back like oh why are you yelling at me so then when i resent him i just kind of said you know normal uh volume guard and he did it beautifully did it perfectly um so yeah we lost some points for having to use two commands and send him twice but uh, yeah, all in all, we got very, very lucky to have passed. We got that first leg. And then on the on the Sunday, we tried again. We got through the obedience and we got the same score. We got the bare minimum, 75 out of 100. And it was all different things where we lost the points. Everywhere he did well the first day, he did poorly the second day.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. But, I mean, the, the, we also reversed the – the training field from day one to day two. So what we were doing on day one was polar opposite. It was the same routine, sort of, kind of, you know, there were some variations as in the car instead of mm. the tarp, but the field was set on the opposite direction. So yeah. we were going one way on day one and then the it was set up, so it was set up left on day one and right on day two or right on day, yeah, right on day one and left on day two.
1: Yeah. The highlight for me of the whole thing was on that second day when we did the change of positions and I was in a car and then I had to recall him to heel and I was only allowed to put my legs outside the car. And he ran up the bonnet. Yeah, he got on the bonnet and tried to come in through the windscreen to get into (laughs) heel position.
0: That's actually Uh, pretty clever. I got got four points for it. Yeah, you have to admire a, a dog for his creativity. I mean, he thought to himself, well, how can I heel? I'll yeah. have to try and do the best I can with what I know. Yeah. And and, so, I, and that's why you got four points is because Jerry liked the fact that the dog was being creative and trying to get himself back into a heel position.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was as close to heel as could be. Like, there's no way that he could have gotten into a real heel position. And so he was like, well, this is as close as I can get. So this is what you get. <laughs> and the, the, no, probably not no one could see it but me but he gave me this look through the windscreen of the car like what are you doing you're now? you're an idiot this is impossible <laughs> why are you, <laughs> why are you asking me for something that can't be done mm.
0: yeah it was funny it but definitely yeah. got some laughs from the crowd
1: yeah so then we in the protection of that second day he got confused in the fender attack he was more interested in the decoy that was downfield set up for the next scenario mm. you know that's another thing it's just a handler error and a different training that we need to go through We kind of take for granted the impact that the mask has. You know, Sean wears the Deadpool mask. And, you know, take, for example, on both days, the two-man courage test, I've taught him and, well, taught him slash he has always bitten the decoy on the right. Every single time, he always goes for the one on the right. But both days, Sean left in the mask and he took the decoy on the left and he's never done that before so it obviously brings up the arousal and it makes him a little bit defensive makes him think like hey I, I need to bite that guy rather than that I just want to mm. and then yeah on the second day it was going really well everything was going fine and in the defended scenario Sean was downfield waiting for the next scenario and he was kind of like behind the jump he wasn't very visible but Remy just locked in on him and wanted to bite him. So then when I sent him to go into the decoy behind the car, he went towards Sean, and I called him back. And then I tried to send him again, and he went after Sean again. I called him back, and that's two of my commands. And then I sent him – I ended up kind of using a send away command and sent him around the car, and he saw the decoy, and then when I gave him the command to bite, that's it. Four commands, done, mm. fail.
0: Yeah, it was a shame because he was really on track to getting – the full PSA to title and certificate.
1: Yeah, it would have been awesome. But I think for me, it, it was a – one of the things I really like about PSA, but it's something I'm certainly not experienced in, is the the chess game of it. Mm. As a handler, there's plenty of things where you have to interpret the, the situation and the rules are not so – well, they're not so strict. It's open to interpretation and the judge has set up the scenario. Like especially in the surprise scenario, you, it's brand new to you that day. And the element of it that's going to be scored is unknown to you. So you have to sort of guess that a little bit. You know, obviously, I've watched the video of the trial and I've played it out in my head like a thousand times. And I knew that he was focused on Sean downfield at that fended attack. And I should have switched him. I should have put him onto my right side, which I can do. I have a command to do that. I'm allowed to do that at the setup. Like while I was being scored on the scenario before, we were waiting there at the the start cone. And I could see that he focus downfield, I should have put myself on, I should have put him onto my right instead of on my left. And then I could have like channeled his vision a fair bit mm. and stopped him going that way. And then, you know, same thing, even though, uh, even if it had happened, what I should have done is compose myself more when I call him back and given my send away commander, cause I can just make him run a straight line. It's one of the things we've taught, even though that's not a testing requirement in PSA, it's something he knows how to do. So I could have just sent him in a straight line any direction I want and then when he saw the decoy behind the, the car then, I could have then given him the bike command. But by the time I thought of that, it was too late. I'd used all my commands. So just little stuff like that, like gaming where where the points are and how to manipulate your dog and set them up for success. I just don't have experience in that. I just haven't trialed enough. Like we've literally did our PDC and our one and passed them. So that's it. That's all we got. and then. With level two, past the first aid in second day, so you know I've only trialed four times. That that that's it. I only trialed four times in that game. So, mm. and as a decoy, you know, when you're decoy, you're just doing what you're doing. You don't pay that much attention to the handlers and what they're doing. You only focus on the dog. So I just haven't learned that component, and um, got a lot of work to do to to learn more how to do it.
0: As I told you a while ago, I was talking to Mike Suttle when he was over here doing the seminar, and he was talking about you know what a a hard trial PSA is in general because of this, especially in the surprise scenarios. I mean, on that first day that Remy did um, the surprise scenario in protection, he had to take a bucket of water in the face and then still go through that and take the decoy, which he did really well. You know, I mean, he bought only slightly and then he came straight back. I mean, I don't think in training we've ever thrown a bucket of water in his face. We've never done
1: it. And Mm. I, it's just one of those things. I, it's, I know that water can be used in level two. He's, fine with a hose like i've used a hose in bike work before never like smashed him with a full you know like it's a lot of water for a full bucket of water getting pounded in the face with that It, it was fairly off-putting
0: yeah it was it was um, literally it was four fifths full of water yeah 10 liter so, bucket of water so he probably had about eight liters hitting him in the face
1: yeah but he he kind of felt the impact of that and that kind of put him offline a little bit but then he, he went straight in he handled the drive fine and mm. I think I'm very lucky with him in that uh, he responds better to more pressure. The more pressure the decoys put on him, the more he enjoys it. Anyway, he 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 would choose the more difficult bite over the easier bite. So when things come up that I haven't trained for, I'm quite lucky in that regard that he's prepared for most things because he enjoys the more difficult it is, the more he's likely to enjoy himself. Um, So I'm lucky in that way, because otherwise, you know, other dogs, that would have been a huge, a huge problem to mm. face something we haven't trained at all.
0: Something else I wanted to talk about was, and you touched on it before, was trial nerves. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because obviously I saw how nervous you were. And I've, it's a side of you I haven't seen before. I haven't seen you get <laughs> that. You weren't talking much, which is a clear sign that there's something different about your headspace at the time. Usually you're laughing and joking and it's not that you weren't, but you were doing it far less than what you usually do. Um, Mm. Especially coming up into the times when you were prepping to get your dog out. You were like, I could see you doing your breathing and your meditation and sort of trying to get your headspace into the fact that you're now coming onto the field to be judged. And it wasn't just you. Everybody was hitting a range of emotions when they came out. I found that a lot of people were really different to their normal persona, which was interesting because I could see the effect it was having on some of the dogs. Some were having an effect in a positive way where most were having an effect in a negative way. The issue there was, was that not only was it affecting dogs, but it was also affecting handlers as well. Like there were some handlers that were coming off the field after things didn't go their way i could see that it was really getting in their head like a lot of self doubt and a lot of a lot of concern about what just happened and yet they've got to look at it from a positive aspect of this is for for many of them it was their first trial it's the first yeah. time they've hit the field before and i think that from speaking to a few of them and being in that position myself i mean randy did it to me did it on my psa 1 when we we're sitting in the car and we we're doing the the carjacking exercise, when we we're doing that, he just locked into a frame of mind that he wouldn't out on the sleeve. And usually he's pretty good with his outs. I mean, he's a bit slow, but he will listen to me and he he will follow through with it. And it was a it was a surprise to me that I had three attempts to do it and he wouldn't do it. And, and you know, I was pretty pretty shot after that because that was straight off a PDC into a PSA one. I thought, if he gets through this, he's going to sail through it, and I'm going to get PSA 1, and he, you know, he might be the first dog in Australia to get it at the time. Everything was looking good. Bam, he missed it, and he wouldn't do it. And, yeah, it did. It really kicked me in the feels. Like It took me a good couple of weeks to come to terms with what happened. And that's, I guess, for people who were trialing and that it didn't go their way on the day. The one thing you've got to remember is that it's important, and we all want it to go right, The fact is, is that it's one trial in a lot of trials that you can do. And, you Mm -hmm. know, even the guy who invented PSA, Jerry Bradshaw, he was telling tales of how many times his dogs have let him down on the field or how many times his trainings let him down on the field or Mm -hmm. when things have gone wrong, you know? So if the guy who invented the sport still has dogs that show him up and won't bay and won't follow through on instructions or just have a a fucky day and just won't do what they're told. How is anybody else going to pick a perfect score on the day? It's just not going to happen. Yeah. It's not always going to go your way. So yeah. I just wanted people to know that I understood their dismay at their dogs not performing as well as they should. I, under- I understand that it was a little bit of a culture shock and you go through a bit of self-doubt. Like you, when you sort of collect yourself, you're sort of sitting there thinking, well, is it worth it? Should I go for this again? Should I have another go? Well, that really is a personal question, I, I believe, don't you? Yeah. Mm. <laughs>
1: There's so much to
0: that. (laughs) Trial
1: nerves is an interesting thing. And I try to, I think that with your own dog, the posture is really important. And so I always try and train with a posture that I can replicate when I am nervous, when I am under pressure. And so I have like what I call like my trial picture is, you know, how I try and present to my dog all the time. Mm. And for sure, for me, you know, one thing I was talking about with lots of people that are there. As a professional dog trainer, it's – and, you know, I'm traveling the world now teaching people about how I train dogs and the techniques I use. And so it's important that it, this is the proving ground. Like we've talked about, like this is it where I can have my chance to show like, hey, what I'm talking about, I'm not just talking. Like this actually works and here's me and my dog proving it. So for me, the the trial day is a little bit – higher stakes than for most people. Like I'm not just a hobbyist enthusiast out there like, hey, this is the thing I do for fun on the weekend with my dog. Check it out. It's like this is my job and I charge people for my advice on how to do this. So it's kind of important that it goes well. Mm. And I'm glad that it did for the most part. Like I'm really happy that having passed one day, I was really hoping to do exactly as I did, to pass at least one, passing a PSA trial, Two days in a row is—that's a tall ask. That's a—that's a lot to ask of a dog. And so I was happy with having gotten the one leg. It would have been great to get both and get the title over the one weekend. But most people don't do that because, you know, in the states they have a trial. You know, pretty much every month there's a there's one. And so it, it's unwise to trial two days in a row because you do one and then you recover from that and you go and do another a month later. No big deal if your dog's ready. Mm. But yeah, I think for everybody in the club and people who came, there's definitely trial nerves, and because PSA has surprise scenarios, so you can't, you can never say that you're ready. Like there is no knowing, you know. Like you can, you can only train your dog to the best of what you've been able to figure out, but there is no saying like, yeah, my dog will definitely do this. The call off's a great example, right? Like I have been careful not to practice the call off too much because of the way I teach the call-off, and we, we've talked about that a million times on the show and we had that whole episode on the triangle, it results in my dog finding more value in calling off than going down and, and actually biting. So if, you know, I've always been kind of worried that if he reads the play and realizes we're doing the call-off, he'll prefer to call-off because it means in his mind that he gets a reinforcer from me and a reinforcer of the bite. Mm. So it's 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 a better situation for him if he calls off. Now, of course, in a trial, he's not going to get the reinforcer from me. So I was worried and I had to minimize he's got a very good call off and I even put a video on Facebook like two weeks ago of me calling him off a frisbee while it's like while you know, he's just jumping in the air he, for it. Yeah, he's mm. flying through the air, his mouth's about to hit it and I couldn't call him off of it. So I'm like, no, nah, it'll be fine. Mm. But then on the first day, the decoy's cracking a whip. <laughs> <laughs> right? The decoy's cracking a whip just before. Which frisbees we call don't the do off. No, and like I, I can, I've said to heaps of people, I'm like, you're never going to see a whip on a trial field. Like, and, and <laughs> there it was. Because, I mean, you know, you don't see that in in IPO that you train with the whip all the time. But it's a padded stick. that the they're never going to crack a whip and agitate the dog. Yeah, that's right. And so. And the whip for my dog is way too much stimulus. Normally, like if I'm trying to bring up another dog and he's a hundred meters away in the car and I crack the whip, my car starts rocking. Like yep. he gets so so aroused by it, and then I had to call him off of a decoy who was cracking a whip, and I, I he nearly didn't call off. Like the, and that was my the one exercise I was like, no, we definitely have that. That's we don't need to train that leading up to it. I have to even be careful that I don't train it too much Mm -hmm. because he'll anticipate it. And then when I whistled, and I was taking no chances, I whistled the moment he went past the qualifying cone, like the minimum distance cone, I whistled, and he totally blew me off. (laughs) Like, didn't even slow down. It was like still speeding up. And it didn't even occur to me to blow the whistle again. Like, I was just staring at him incredulously. Like, I couldn't believe what had happened. Luckily, I did have the the cognizant moment where I was like, oh, shit, I can use another command. And I, I whistled him again, and he sailed straight under Scotty's arm, like even actually kicked him in the chest. He, yep. he he made contact with him but didn't bite him. It was as close as a call-off could possibly be.
0: Yeah, he sa- yeah he sailed for him. It was pretty much reminiscent of the Frisbee exercise where he went for the Frisbee and then he stopped midair.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was
0: grimacing. Like I think I, I nearly snapped my pen when I was watching that exercise. Yeah.
1: I'm pissed off because I, I looked at a lot of people's footage, but no one was. Everyone was filming him, not me, mm. because I want to see the look of like shock on my face. When he <laughs> didn't call off. Because I was like, this is the bet. This is the one thing that we definitely have down pat. But mm. I've never trained that. I've never in my life called him off. Someone cracking a whip because I just thought there's no way that's that's way too. That's way too much stimulus. That's way too highly arousing. Mm. But I'll never see that on a trial field that that's something that will never happen. And it's exactly what did happen. So as I say, it's really nerve wracking for someone like me because I, you know, I charge people for my advice on dog training and this is my opportunity to prove that I know what I'm doing. And there's a lot of opportunity then to prove that actually I don't know what I'm doing. Right? Well,
0: you know, like in saying that, it is a testament to anybody to get out there on the field and, and do well with their dogs. But you can't predict. Let me rephrase well, that's what the I'm thing. saying. That's what I'm getting at. That's, that's it with PSA. Yeah, it's, you, it's, you don't know exactly what th- it's like. That's right. Be. There's so many little nuances to PSA that, you know, trying to – say that you can predict everything that's going on. And I don't mean this in a derogatory fashion. It's not like IGP where it's a set pattern that you're doing, mm. you know, a routine that is the same routine all the time. I mean, I know there's still trial nerves and I know there's different decoys and I know that decoys will drive your dogs differently and and so on and so on. But it's still the same picture with in PSA. It's, you know, and again, to quote Mike Subtle, it's that surprise scenarios And those difficulties that make PSA a much more difficult style of trialing in dog sport.
1: And one thing I I tell you I'm glad is all the little control work things that I've done with my dog that are not necessarily scored components of PSA. So like my dog having a, a front finish and a middle and all that kind of thing, I used all of those on the field as ways of controlling my dog. Not necessarily in the scenarios, but between scenarios and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I saw um, you doing, especially when you were in the car.
1: Yeah, exactly right. So it's just ways of moving your dog around mm. and little things like you know you got to put the dog in in the back of the car for the call off and that kind of stuff and just manipulating the way that you move them. If I if you just trained okay, well you only have to heal on the left and I only trained healing on the left. There's a there's a few times there we would have been trouble, been in trouble mm. and. You know, I brought him into middle in every trial in the bite work and the obedience at one stage or another. I flicked him in in between my legs so that I could move and control better where he was facing and that kind of thing. So just little bits and pieces like that, that are just general dog training. And that's one of the cool things about it, I think, is that there's so much control work that is not necessarily like, here's the pretty picture of healing in a straight line. Mm. It's here's chaos. You figure out a way to get your dog through it.
0: I think that's a good analogy. I think the days of your general style of obedience, dog on the left-hand side marching down a field are well and truly over, especially when you're dealing with something like a combative style of dog sport, where, as you said, you know, and again, to bring up what I was saying before with these different little nuances that we're talking about, you know, having your dog being able to shift from left side to right into center position because there is so much change of position. There's a lot of movement around on the field. And yeah, I think it really gives you a, a benefit, not only just for, for trialing, but also for life work as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that it's it certainly makes your dog, training your dog with an intention to trial in that way, makes the dog way more livable and safer in the real world because mm. you have all those control mechanisms and you're, you're prepared then for the unexpected.
0: One thing I did like is I saw Sean Edwards put up a picture in his own Instagram of him um, lying on the ground cuddling Remy at your place. And that's indicative of what type of dog it is and what type of training that we're all engaged in. You know, I mean, it's, it's we're practicing what we're preaching. This is what I'm trying to spit out is that. We've got dogs that the decoys can then go and play with. They can still be friends and hang out and and you know like rumble on the couch when you're at home. This isn't a dog that can't shut down, that isn't thinking to itself, "I have to destroy you, no matter what is happening, I'm so wound up or I'm so defensive that I can't shut down and I can't think straight. I think for other people in dog sports, if you're not actually working on the fit like working out in in life scenarios and even if you are, why can't you have that level of control with your dog? I mean, I think it's yeah, something, yeah. It, I think it's a question you have to ask yourself. Why does your dog have to be civil? Why does your dog have to be uncontrollable when your dog is not actually u- used in those applications? And and even now, you know, it was a um, something that you brought up a while ago, and I believe it was a podcast I was listening to. It was one of our episodes. I can't remember which one it was. It might have even been last week's, but I remember you saying that the the army and you know police forces aren't using or aren't don't need dogs like that anymore it might have just mm. been a general conversation that we were having over lunch i can't remember but it was a very important conversation and it really resonated with me because you know back 20 30 years ago those sort of dogs were more required. I think people, their limitations on their understanding and training and what they required, they really wanted that sort of junkyard sort of dog look. Whereas Mm -hmm. these days, they want a dog that's quiet and they want a dog that is waiting in formation to be told what to do, not just engaging and being a liability to you and then finding out that you're you're facing litigation because you can't control your dog and can't demonstrate control of your dog.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think the the days of the one-dimensional wrecking ball are are over. Hmm. The usable dogs now need to be able to follow direction from multiple people. They need to be able to uh, work in a crowded team environment. And, of course, like that's not to say that, you know, those real working dogs need to bring in extreme violence in action, but they need to have that able to be turned on and pointed in a very specific direction and then turned
0: off afterwards. Yeah. I think, look, we all have a hard dog. Everybody does It's in the working dog game. We all enjoy a dog that's got some tenacity. But in the same token, I also love watching that style of dog being able to switch off. And, you know, then all of a sudden you've got a social dog. And you're thinking, mm. this is an amazing dog. You know, like I have more, much more reverence and respect for not only the dog, but the handler and the training team that can produce a dog like that. That can be a very serious, serious dog. Like for ex- argument's sake – I was sitting on a chair, patting Sido, Jay's dog, and having a having a bit of cuddle time with him. And he's intense; like he's got some real intensity about him.
1: And yet, yeah, there's some hate in his heart. That's there is sure. some hate
0: in his heart. I mean, when he's out in the field, I mean, I've got I've got some bruises on my arm from him, just giving him a test on Sean's jacket. And I mean, I know you have, and Sean's probably got plenty, and Scott's got a few, and Jazz's got a few from him. But the reality is, I mean. Jay's done such a good job with him, turning him from a dog that was quite unstable, and he had a lot of issues. And thanks to you know the training that he's been doing with you and and with the, with the club, he's really become a turnaround dog. And I, that's a testament to the village that you know, like we're we're teaching a dog that bite work doesn't have to be full of defense. You don't have to believe that everybody's your enemy all the time. You can't have any shutdown time. So it is actually nice to see a dog like him turn around on the corner. And I mean, he was giving me real affection. Like he was, you know, like head banging me and jumping up on my lap. And, you know, he really wanted to have a bit of cuddle time. Mm. This is, and I'm talking a serious dog, like a working dog that is actually working on the streets.
1: Yeah. Well done to Jay as well. She did a great job. She did. Um, she got through the obedience on the first day. And then um, he, uh, he got exact same thing over aroused in the, in the call off and didn't, didn't call off in the bite work. But she did an amazing job to get through obedience, and it's a it's an interesting test case, you know, because she works the streets with that dog. And when he when they first came to the club, he was he'd been overcooked. He know? was dangerous. Worked. Yeah, that's right. And and we've got two two girls in the club with real street dogs that yep. you know they work the street with. And in order to be able to compete, we had to down tune those dogs quite a bit, mm. like, like get them actually clearer thinking. Get those dogs more under control, thinking clearly and um, being way more – not more not less serious in their work but clearer in their work. And, and as a result, both of them are way better versions of the dog – of the same dog. They're way better versions now that they are training in this. And this is why – this is why I'm so adamant. I'm sure people are sick of us talking about it in that it's so important that people who do work the streets with their dogs have access to dog sport people – And the clubs and that sort of thing so that they have the opportunity to train their dogs in a way that – in a a way that the dog can tell what's training and what's reality and also be able to switch back in and out of that because – what typically has happened in dog sport communities is once your dog works the streets, that's it. You cut like there's no – you can't play with the dog sport clubs. Mm. Um, and so those dogs are just stuck in the model. The only people that they can get to work their dogs are people who are preparing for the street. And so like exactly what Saito was before Jay came to the club was he was so strung out. It was like a really highly strung dog who lived on a razor's edge because all of the work that he had done at all high pressure – High intensity.
0: Rewarded for being intense all the time.
1: Yeah. it's mm. street type work. Yeah. And he's, you know, that's fine. But then also there was no opportunity. There was no club. There were no people to help her also because, and it's not that Jay needs help other than that you need people to do this. It's She knows what to do, but mm. you need people to help you actually do it. To wind that dog back and go, hey, here's your windows of opportunity to come at people with extreme violence of action. And now, hey, that window's shut. You need to be a dog that listens to what your handler says. And she did an amazing job. She Mm. did a great job getting through the obedience. Yeah, she really did. hard. Mm. Man, that level to obedience is control work beyond what most people – dogs have with their dog regardless of what discipline you're in the amount the people that could conduct that healing and that control work on their dog under that level of distraction there's not many people that can do that and so she did an amazing job doing that and like i say that dog works the streets he bites people for real
0: yeah and what people what a lot of people may not know is that during the um, during the obedience scenario, you've got two decoys on the field taunting you the entire time that <laughs> you're doing your exercise. Like they're running around in front of you with clatter sticks. They're hitting them themselves with the clatter sticks, trying to get the dog to break out of position. They, they're taunting you. They're playing psychological mind games with you. They're telling you you're not going to pass, that your dog's going to break position. So, I mean, even though that's probably people listening going, oh, well, that's not really fair. Well, this is what you're facing on the street. You know, I mean, this is what people face on the street every single day that they're standing out there. They get people taunting them. They get people calling your, your mother names that, you know, and you're, you've, you've not got to respond to that. So you've got to be conditioned to understand that when you're out there and when you're dealing with those conditions, you aren't allowed to lose your temper. Your dog's not allowed to lose its control. In those situations, I mean, this is where serious litigation can um, line up against you. So people, you know, like you were saying before, that people might be getting sick of you saying things like this. And if people are getting sick of you saying things like this, I think those type of people really need to have a little bit of quiet reflection with themselves to say, what am I doing in my my own sport or my preparation work that's better than what you're talking about? Or if it's not Mm. better, I think they need to fall in line with something that is producing a calm, confident, stable dog that will execute good work when told to do so. Mm. For argument's sake, I've seen people that have come down the club just watching us from time to time. And when, you know, dogs like Randy and Remco are doing their work and then they finish and it's all over and the dog's running free around the decoys and, you know, like we're just talking in general public, you see people sort of put their hands in their pocket and they sort of go, whoa, Thinking, what's go- what's this dog going to do? It's like it's running mm. around with a ball in its mouth with no lead on it and nothing. But what people don't understand is our dogs don't. You know, once it's over, it's over. The dogs mm. know it's it's chill time. Go back to being a dog. You know, you finished your work. The work is done. Um, you've not been told to do anything else. And then when they see the dog go over and lie around with the decoys and you know, like people patting and, and playing with the dog, uh, people have come up to me before and said is that normal? And I said, with good training, it's always normal, but with bad training, it's, (laughs) it's unpredictable and you won't know what's going to happen next. And I said, but for our dogs, it's unforgivable for our dogs to just decide to bite someone with no provocation. Or even if there is provocation, the dog hasn't been told to do so. There's no stimuli that says to the dog, you need to do this now because training dictates that's not part of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of us but the club did really well. I'm pretty I'm really proud of Dom did really well, got his PDC. Everybody everybody did. Ash did everybody, fantastic. Yeah, she got got a PDC with a, a you know Grim when she came to the club. That dog was was fucking dangerous. Like he would he'd been overcooked. He'd had terrible deco work done with him. He couldn't even bite. He couldn't sustain a bite on anything. He was so overloaded chomping all over the place. And, you know, to then get him to the point now where mm. uh, he handled a, a, you know, a drive, stayed in the bite, outed cleanly. So she's done an amazing job getting that amazing dog under job. control and, and, you know, yeah. And, and again, it, uh, I don't want to harp on the same point, but it's it's the same thing. It's the work that that dog had had done to him by people who are claimed to be d- people that know what they're doing as dog trainers and preparing him for the street. It's us sport mm. trainers and a, her sport club that had to get that dog actually stable and way safer to work.
0: Well, the interesting thing about Grimm is that when I first watched him work, he would expel probably 60 to 70% of his energy before anything even happened. You know, mm. And that's the hysteria that you're talking about. I mean, that dog just shot out at the end of the lead. He didn't know what he was doing. His eyes were rolling around in his head. He'd be spinning around on lead. I mean, it was just pure hysteria. And Mm. although it's nice to see some defense in dogs and, you know, Jerry talked at the seminar that he just did the weekend before. And one of the points he made was that a bit of defense work in dogs every now and then is a bit of a lost art these days, which I tend Mm. to agree with. But the problem is, is that people do, I don't think people know how to do defense work well. They don't know how to get it proportionate to what they need it to be. They think that, you know, like back tying a dog, cracking a whip and getting the dog so hysterical. And when the dog's at a point of break, then they produce the reward for the dog. So the the dog is in such a state of conflict to think, is this how hard I have to fucking fight every single time to get the sleeve to come out? And the Mm. dog... And, you know, then you start getting the superstitious behaviors as well, like the spinning on the lead and jumping in the air and, and just crazy types of behaviors, which none of it is really necessary. And all of it expels huge amounts of energy and it's unsafe. It's just impractical. Yeah. It's unsafe. And it's it's so unrealistic in a street situation. I mean, none of that is is needed. None of it's warranted.
1: Yeah, well, for him, the biggest issue was they'd made him so unstable in the grip that he, he'd been shown that your bite is ineffective. Mm. And so he was just chomping all over the place. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's we, terrible. That's where we put a lot of work into was making him more stable in the grip. And, and he totally is stable now, right? Oh, he was um, lovely.
0: He was, it was, I mean, poor Ash. <laughs> she came out to do her trial and I think she held her breath for almost the entire time she was on the field. <laughs> but for somebody who gets very nervous, I'm... I mean, as I am of everybody, but I was particularly proud of Ash. I think she did a just a tremendous job, and she's come so far, not only in what she's learned to do with her dog, but also her own handling and her own management and her own belief in herself. So, I couldn't have been prouder. Mm. It was it was a beautiful picture to watch. It really was.
1: But yeah, so that's our trial. Now I've got the very difficult decision to decide what I'm going to do later in the year, whether I, um, have we talked about this on the show at all? I can't remember whether. I we'd...
0: don't, well, I think you did at one stage, you you talked about heading off to the US to do some stuff, but now I think you're in split decisions of whether to go over there and, and finish him up in his two or yeah, three. So
1: having passed one leg of the, the level two here in Australia, that counts as like our regionals because it's the only trial we have in the area. So it means I qualify for the nationals. Um, and so I'm toying with the idea of taking him over. It's the first weekend in November, um and toying with the idea of taking him over there to to trial. The only problem is I've left it kind of late to get his quarantine paperwork and everything done. Mm. So it means that he'll be stuck there until January. So th- there's a few things to consider right now, like you know are we ready? Are we at a level where we can do well at uh, nationals and and not embarrass ourselves? I think that I think we'll do okay do I want to spend you know, maybe $20,000 actually getting there and back and the costs and all that? And then also the the other part that I just kind of was, me and Jane were just discussing, was like, do I want to be apart from him for three months? You know what I mean? uh,
0: Yeah, I know. That's the hard part. The quarantine here is just ridiculous. I mean, I understand why they do it. It is what it is. Biosecurity is important in our country. I mean, we're a rabies-free country and I'd like to see it stay that way. And you know, but it's just other-
1: annoying. So he's had his rabies vaccination, but he only got a couple of weeks ago. And so from when that's measured as being effective, it's 180 days before he can come back into the country. Even mm-hmm. though he's born here and he's here right now, it's 180 days from then. So you know that would be done in a week or two. And so, like I say, it'd be the end of uh, January before he can come home, which means I need to find someone and and. A few people have offered already, and they're all great to train. So there's plenty of people he'd be in perfect hands with, but he'd have to spend all of November, December, January in the States uh, before he can come home. Yep. And then the, my plan would be, if I go ahead with this, would then be to go over in January and pick him up. And the, the guys in Florida, I remember who we trained with at the IACP, they have their trial in January. So oh, yeah, I, yep,
0: yep, I remember. Joe. Yeah, Joe,
1: yeah. Yeah, so – they had their trial in January, so my plan would then be to, to go over a week or two before that and just sharpen him up again and then have another crack then.
0: You really want to pick the hottest state in all of America to go and trial your dog? Well, it's January. It's middle of winter for them. Yeah, which uh, is 30 that degrees. Th- that's why they have it there. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's the only trial. That's, that's why yep. they have it in January. Um, yep. So that's, that's my only opportunity. They were a great um, bunch yeah, of guys. It, I really so, enjoyed
0: going over to meet them. It was, it was a great little excursion.
1: Yeah, it was awesome, and so I'd love to then support their trial. It would be cool, and mm. since he's since he has to stay there till January, I kind of figure why not. But, yeah, so now I'm sort of figuring out whether I want to do that. It's just the cost. It, well, it's not just the cost. As I say, it, it's then that he has to be there for three months, and I'd miss him. <laughs> but, mm. um, yeah, so, you know, all up it would be around nearly 20 grand to get it done, but it's kind of a lifelong dream sort of thing that I've, I would like to, to see through. So, I don't know. We'll figure it out.
0: Well, I think people do what they find important in life.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Hey, um, that's, that's, one one other good bit of news I think is worth sharing is that I was nominated by Sean originally and graciously accepted by Jerry to become a PSA judge.
1: Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention that. So no. you, you were apprentice judging over the weekend.
0: Yes. So I started, um, I didn't enter Randy into the PSA trials for a couple of reasons one that I was lazy and unorganized and two that I had a lot of well I've got to be honest I mean you know I mean I could have done it if I pushed myself to do it but we had a lot of work on this year and I was getting stressed out about that already and I dropped the ball a little bit in my training I'd sort of I'd sort of lent off the pedal for a while and then that just sort of prolonged further and further and further and It was stressing me out about how much time had passed. and Towards the end, I just thought, oh, I'm just going to call it. I'm just not in a good frame of mind to do it at this point in time. But I will, however, have a crack at it next year. I've already been thinking about my game plan. I was putting pen to paper the other day and redesigning and rethinking my whole strategy about that. But what was good about it was it gave me the entire weekend to shadow Janet and Jerry on the trial field and learn Mm -hmm. everything about judging for the trial. So I'm going to head over to the States myself at some stage and hopefully get to work with the guys over there and judge a trial myself over in the States, And Mm -hmm. uh, which will be exciting because that means that we will be able to hold properly sanctioned uh, trials over here, which means that rather than doing... PDC and PSA ones um, once a year. We'll be able to do them several times a year, and uh, you and I and several of our decoys will be able to um, make sure that we've got trials on the ground and that people can have more access to it. Which means that we can actually really start to flourish PSA in Australia.
1: Yeah, I think that that's going to be awesome. Once you uh, finish that sort of apprenticeship, we can have you know three or four trials a year that's what will really get the sport going. Yep. And even though it's just going to be the entry-level stuff, that's still fucking hard. There's there's still – I'm the only person with a, a leg of the level two, There's and there's only four dogs in the country that have got the level one. So it's still – that's a long journey for a lot of people to even get at the level one. So that that's a lot of trial opportunity. Um, and when we can start doing those around the country as well and – start growing the sport I'm, that's i'm really confident really really excited about that actually that we'll be able to trial more often show more people the sport bring more people in get more people excited about it and get, just keep the momentum going mm. it's difficult for us only getting to trial yeah you know, that's our third trial so there's you know a full year literally because we did it on the same weekend uh, last year a full year between access to hit the field it, it's easy for people to lose their momentum a little bit you know um so Speaking being able from to do experience. that you know three or four times if we can do it every quarter that would be great
0: mm. yeah no that will be wonderful and i really appreciate jerry for giving me the opportunity to do so and uh allowing me to shadow him and i mean he was so generous with letting me ask him questions during the trial and get into his headspace about what happens and why things happen. It was interesting to to um, be able to compare notes with both him and Janet. And Janet, a, she's a fabulous judge as well. I mean, you know, she's a very talented lady. So I really enjoy my time with those guys. And one thing I really want to mention too, which I'm sure you'll agree, is just um, we've say, said it a million times, what a great bloke Sean Edwards is. You know, I it's mean, he is just One of the most genuine guys I think I've ever met. He's just an absolutely fantastic guy. He's always got a good attitude. I don't think I've ever, ever, in the entire time that Sean's been over here, I don't ever think I've seen Sean lose his temper or or get upset with anybody or anything. He's very patient. Even when people test his patience, he's always positive. He's just a super dude. Really enjoyed time with him. Yeah, no, he's, he's I, awesome. I'm, I'm not gay for him, but, you know, I do love the guy. <laughs> it's all right if you are.
1: It's <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But He's just not that into you. <laughs> he might be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I reckon we wrap it up. Oh, before we, do, our...
0: before we do, before we do, one thing that we haven't said, congratulations to Georgie Harrington.
1: Oh, Georgie fucking took away all the trophies. I know,
0: she pinched all your trophies off you.
1: I know. Every and, single I even one of them. made a whole bunch of jokes when people were talking about getting the trophies. I said, ah, it doesn't matter. I'm getting them anyway.
0: Yep. And Georgie and then, went and uh, snuck them all by a them. bee's dick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> she did. What was it? It was like a, a 0.75 of a point or something that she, she beat me by.
0: Yeah, it was like a. It was just a, an absolute smidge. And I think she just pipped you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm. I'm super proud of her. She does an amazing job. You know, because she's lives so far away from us she gets almost no access to decoys. So it's quite remarkable. it's actually amazing how well she does with her dogs considering mm. the the access to training that she has, but also shows awesome commitment like she came up here the week before the trial, stayed yep. here for the week. We work the dogs every day. We're trying to just you know move them along. She has uni exams at the moment that like seem to have gone by the wayside because she was too busy doing dog stuff. so, you know, she deserves, she did an amazing job. She deserves it. Me and her muck around and and I make all these jokes about her winning trophies that I didn't get to win, but I'm super, I'm super happy for her and I'm proud of her. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: Mm. And and I, I'm looking forward now that she got her level one and that she's in the twos and now we're actually competing directly against each other so that yeah, we can, I know. you know, we're a little bit competitive and it, it's good to have that. It's a good relationship to, you know, push each other forward like that.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really proud of her. And I mean, she's a... I've said it before, but Georgie's a dark horse. Like, she's a super intelligent person. She's got a great heart. I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty, so please don't think it, but she was one of the only people who, after the trial, came up to me and said, you know, I just want to genuinely thank you for opening your home and your property and everything like that, you know, and I thought, well, that's, wow, you know, like a lot of people say thanks and, you know, high-five me and stuff like that, but it was a real heartfelt Big thank you and I was kind of taken back by it and it just goes to show that, you know, Georgie's got a really good heart and a, a very- And she loves to cuddle. And she loves to cuddle, yeah. But no, good <laughs> on you, Georgie. I'm really proud of you. You you did well and, you know, all the things that Pat brought up before about you not having access to the same things that we do. I mean, we're spoilt for choice when we've got plenty of people that we can network with and we've got a, a you know, like a proper training studio that we can sort of hang out and, Shoot ideas off each other, and you're four hours, four hours away, or five hours away, six hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hours. I mean, she's, I mean, she really puts in a rocket load of work to get done what she did. So, yeah, as you said, you're proud of her. I'm proud of her. I think uh, a lot of people are. She's done a done a magnificent job. Yeah, everybody did. Win, lose, or yeah. draw. Everybody did a great job. You should be proud of yourself. You should, like I said at the start, there was a lot of people who hit that field and had expectations of doing better than what they did. It sucks not to not to do as well as you hope, but it also is something that you have to look at as a, a teaching experience. I think that's what I've done when I've had some of my greatest disappointments of, is thought to myself, what did I learn from that experience? And if I can encourage you to do the same thing, you won't take it so hard upon yourself. You won't look at it and think to yourself, you know, I suck or my dogs suck or I'm no good or I shouldn't do this anymore. I think sometimes... I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean it in a positive way, but it's a reflection nonetheless. Sometimes you, you shouldn't let your ambitions get mixed up with your capabilities. Sometimes you've got to think to yourself, is the dog that I'm training really up to the stand am I trying to push the dog to do something that it's not capable of doing? That is a reflection nonetheless that everybody needs to look at. There's, there's dogs that I've, purchased before with the intention of doing things with, and I've thought to myself, it wouldn't be fair to ask this dog to do this sport or this particular training style. It's just not in line with what the dog wants to do, or the dog doesn't have the tenacity or the personality to do it. So therefore, I've decided early, this dog would be better laying on a couch cuddling people rather than being on a field because that would be stressful for the dog where with dogs like Remco and Randy and Saito and, you know, many of the other dogs that we've mentioned before, it would be cruel for them to sit on a couch getting cuddled when really they want to be out on the field working.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, <clears throat> something we should talk about so that people can take something away from this episode other than us just waffling about how to, what a wonderful trial we had. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, I think there's so much importance and uh, we got to see it on the weekend from people who have this and people who don't. But I think if you intend to show your dog, right, i.e. go into any form of competition no matter what it is, is having a procedure for doing that is so important. And it's something that at all the seminars I do, I talk about the, you know, I do a whole section on it in that just entering the field, like getting from your car to onto the field and the procedure that has to be around that so that your dog thinks this is just like every other day. Yeah. This is a day where there's huge opportunities for reinforcers provided I do the right thing. And there's my mistakes will go answered if I do the wrong thing. And that is totally untrue on the trial field. There'll be no corrections. There'll be no reinforcers. So it's creating a picture where the dog doesn't know that's the case. Mm. And training in a way that this just looks like normal training to the dog. Doesn't look like anything else. Looks no different to to what he does day to day. And people talk about their dog becoming trial aware, but really the dog is aware of uh, it's not the trial that the dogs is aware of. The, the dog is aware of the picture of reinforcement and of a lack of it. And, you know, certainly dogs will look around and say, hey, there's a crowd. That means that you're not going to give me any reinforcers. Mm-hmm. Or there's a crowd and that means you're not going to correct me no matter what I do. And so it's training in a way that you can replicate that. That's why when people say whenever I'm at a seminar – or I'm at any dog training event where there's dog training people around, I get my dog out at lunchtime and I don't just take the dog out to go and empty out and I put him away so I can go and socialize. You go and do some training with him. Yeah, we do training and Mm. we train amongst all those people so that he learns, hey, whether there's people around or not, it doesn't matter. You have opportunity for reinforcers. Like Mm. I'm going to play with you. I'm going to reward you for doing the right thing whether there's a crowd or not. And so it's important. I think it's so important. And we got to see that from people who don't have a good system. And And it's up to us now as a club to implement that for those people. You totally agree. But to, to have a strong system for entering the field. And whatever it is, it doesn't matter so long as you're consistent in what that system is where you show the dog, hey, before every training session, this is the ritual we go through. And then on trial day, here's that same ritual. It's the exact same picture. Nothing's different. But we're going out there on the field and the dog goes out there a, and and performs as well on the field as he does in training. yeah, or even better, hopefully.
0: Yeah, that's um, sage advice. I like that.
1: Yeah, and I think as a club, that's something that maybe we, well, not maybe, I know for sure, we need to sit down and discuss with a few people and and you know layer in that into people's programs and that there's nothing you you just cannot have haphazard dog training. It's my real bugbear. And when, you know, some of the people we're working with at the moment, when if you're not clear what you want, there's no way your dog could be clear with what you want, right? Like if you can't describe exactly what the outcome you want from your training, Mm. there's no way your dog can figure out exactly what you want if you can't vocalize it yourself. And so it's the same when it comes to the trial. If you walk out there with a different posture, a different intention, if you're totally different, there's no way the dog is going to do the right thing when you're not presenting any consistency to how we did it yesterday when you had the ball in your hand yep. and when I was wearing my prong collar. You know, like it's – you have to have a ritual and not fuck with that ritual.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think that um, you and I were discussing not uh, far out of the trial where there were a few people who were – like they were sort of experimenting with a different way to do it a week out from the trial where um, – <laughs> yeah. but, look, the good thing for them now is I think it was a wake-up call for them. I think they – you know, at the stage they thought this might be a good idea and now reflecting back on it, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're looking at thinking, okay, well, I understand it's me. And sometimes it takes – that shock for that wake-up call to happen sometimes. I'm I'm look, I've I've been guilty of doing those sort of things myself where I've thought, no, I don't need to listen to you. You don't know what you're talking about all the time. You know, I've been in this now long enough to to I understand well, I know my dog better than you do. Blah, 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 blah. And then you go off and do it and you do these crazy harebrained things and your dog is just totally confused about it. And then mm-hmm. you and that's where you do start creating these bad scenarios with your dogs. And the good thing about it is for a lot of these people, it's not too late. You haven't damaged the dog because I know a few people I've spoken to have thought now I've damaged my dog and I've ruined the picture for the dog. If you do that every single time, yeah, you will damage your dog. You know, there's no two ways about it. Your dog will get on the field and basically go, well, now I don't have to listen to you. Now everything that we've been doing is all moot point because, I, you know, I don't have the gear on me anymore and you're acting like a douchebag and you can't catch I don't catch see me. the treat pouch. Yeah, I don't see the treat pouch and, you know, all the visual cues that are usually there in training aren't present anymore. So I'm not doing it. I'm going to become Fenton today on the field.
1: Become Fenton on the field. (laughs) Let's go. All right. I want to go to bed. Let's wrap
0: it up. Yeah. Let's wrap it up.
1: Hey, that's it for another episode of the K9 Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Uh, three bucks a month gets you an extra episode. Ten bucks a month gets you access to the live Q and A. And if you want to give more than that, you, you you're welcome to. Please, cool oh, well,
0: that would be welcomed any day. And if
1: you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is shoot us an email. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. Anything else, Clint?
0: As of next week, we're probably recording on our brand new, uh, oh. our brand new deck that our patreon supporters who love us dearly and care about us that was a a gift from them to us uh i've been testing it it sounds awesome i was a bit nervous to try it out tonight because i was doing this skype session with you which could have been good or it could have been a lot of mucking around but we just didn't have the time to do it so as of next week i'm going to switch the decks over and it, it the test sounded amazing so i can't wait to see what it sounds in a real trial so there you go
1: all right well i'll be out there next week and we'll play with it Cool. All right, music.